my partner at the time was like, oh, no, 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 no. You, you, you've got to resign. He's, he was from Argentina and was like, they'll kill you, Jenny. They will kill you. And it was just really a wake up call. So that wake up call led me to understand I can't fight about this development. I need to do something positive. Let's plant trees. Let's quit fighting about cutting them down. So I was pretty burned out at that point. And I, I, Actually, that was when community carpentries came to me. I thought, well, I can't just be doing this with the rich foreigners coming here. I need to be doing this on land owned by Costa Ricans. We need to find a way that they don't sell their land. And again, what is the root? The root is poverty. It's poverty and and unsophistication. They're not ignorant. They're incredibly wise, intelligent people. Hello, Saltwater High, Double D coming at you from Ojai, California. Today I'm talking with Jennifer Smith from Community Carbon Trees in Costa Rica. Yes, we all love Costa Rica, don't we? She is restoring rainforests and providing jobs to locals. Such a beautiful story. Who doesn't love trees? Who doesn't want more trees on the planet? We get into, um, you know, what it what trees do to the planet and how important they are. I just love this biodiverse talk. And please welcome Jennifer to the podcast. Jennifer Smith, welcome to Saltwater High. Hello. Thank you, Derek. Hello. Hola. Hola. Como estas? Pura vida. Very well. Pura vida. Very, very cool. So just so our listeners know, you're in Costa Rica and I'm in California. So if we have any, you know, lagging or um, something comes up, just be patient, please, with us, you listener. And uh, yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you. I have a long love history with Costa Rica, as you'll get to know here. Um, But tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I also have a a long love history with Costa Rica. And uh, it started when I was in college. And um, I'm from Louisiana. And uh, I had a boyfriend who was a surfer and uh, lived in Florida. And he consistently just told me, oh my gosh, you're such a crazy lady. You love trees so much. You've got to go to Costa Rica. You've got to go. You've got to go both for the surf and the trees. And, you know, life went on. I became a lawyer. I practiced law in Lafayette, Louisiana for almost eight years. Um, didn't really love doing that and was very, you know, young and naive when I, I think I was 22 years old, 21 years old when I started law school. It was really a baby. And, um, So when I became really just very dissatisfied with my work life, I always remembered that guy and my law firm offered to pay for a, a, a 
you know, a vacation. So I came to Costa Rica and little, little did I know my destiny would have it that I was offered a job while I was here on vacation working with the Nature Conservancy and local communities, educating about the importance of holding what rainforest was left intact as biological mm -hmm. corridors. And um, my job was to liaison between, let's say, the Costa Ricans doing the actual education in the communities and the, the you know, big nonprofit. And so, you know, I went from a really prosperous, high paying job to basically working for free, <laughs> which <laughs> basically in many ways still do. Uh, mm. But the, 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 the idea of moving to Costa Rica and, and trying something else out was just something I couldn't turn down. So mm. I accepted the job quit my life in Louisiana, basically sold, gave away everything I own, came down here with a little puppy blue healer and a backpack. And that was over 22 years ago. So wow. here wow. I sit um, in the strangest time of, of probably all of our lives and I haven't left Costa Rica probably, what, 18 months now. I haven't mm -hmm. seen my family. Uh, you know, really got challenged a couple times during my, my, my life here, you know. And each time I committed, I recommitted to this love affair with Costa Rica and, and just continue to... Um, just love living here, even through the challenges, even through feeling somewhat stuck here, mm. even as we talk on my slow 3G internet right now, because my, mm. my Wi-Fi's down. Um, you know, there's just been a lot of challenges, but Costa Rica has always, always just held some piece of my soul and how do any of us, you know, end up anywhere? I don't know, you know, but yeah, I'm glad I yeah. ended up here. That's such a great story. So just going back a bit, um, that original organization that you, that offered you the job, was it, what kind of organization? Was it a Costa Rican organization, yeah. a, a worldwide conservancy or yeah. What was that? It is called Asana which mm. uh, stands for Asociación de Amigos de la Naturaleza. Mm -hmm. And it was a very small conservation group that had received a grant to educate about biological corridors. And I spoke Spanish, uh, went to a private school in Louisiana. As a blessing, I learned Spanish from maybe 10 years old. So I was truly fluent and uh, I always loved speaking in Spanish. So I actually like practiced speaking in Spanish while I was a lawyer because I did my pro bono work with the, the Catholic diocese in Lafayette hmm. because, you know, there's a lot of foreigners and they would get in an accident. And it'd be like, okay, they need representation. And so I would help um, 
a lot of those folks that that English was not their first language as my my volunteer mm-hmm. work. So uh, I was just you know another little piece of the puzzle of of how I ended up here that that I was already fluent both written and spoken. So of course I had to practice and so much to learn in the local the local accents and the local slang and all of that challenge of, of living in another language. Uh, mm. So the small, small conservation group basically said, you know, you can, you can live here. We'll feed you. You're going to meet uh, all the big dogs in the country and uh, you're going to have great mentorship and, Hmm. And that's exactly true. I, I did stay with that organization uh, for about, really in total, about six or seven years. And I ended up serving as president of that organization. All of that was volunteer. So while I was doing this volunteer work, I started a tree planting business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how the tree thing started because I was in these communities and I felt really uh bad because there I am you know that whole idea of colonialism and uh you know the white lady you know this is a hot topic now at least it was last year right but Mm. um you know intersectional environmentalism I mean that's something Mm. I've been into from the very beginning and I could feel it being in a community, basically helping that process of that teaching aspect and seeing how just closed off the people were. They didn't want any part of it. They were angry that this, not our little group, but the bigger group funding us, kind of giving us the the talking points, the people were not receptive. They, yeah. they consistently would come up to me because I wasn't the power person, right? And I'm friendly mm. and young and come up to me and basically complain and say, you know, how do they expect us not to cut trees down when I need to go cut that tree down to basically you know, get a little bit of money to help my family survive. And Mm. I heard that story countless times and nobody else seemed to hear that story, but I heard it so loud and clear. And I also had a bit of, um, you know, arrogance kind of looking at these same people and saying to them, well, why don't, why don't you go plant trees? You know, why don't you repair your land? I mean, the cows are skinny. You're not making any money off the cattle farming. Why don't you do something about that and do something different? And it just showed how naive I was and how I didn't understand Mm. the real root cause of of the deforestation of why people cut trees down and, and the root cause of why nobody and nobody was planting trees. And it, it took me a couple years to put all the pieces together. And probably I'd say in 2001, again, destiny uh, just struck and some 
some foreigners basically at the place I was living where the conservation group was uh, came into that office and they wanted to do a reforestation project and I didn't have anybody to refer them to. Hmm. And, you know, you're standing there kind of like, wow, you're amazing. You want to, you want to pay to plant trees. I don't know who to call. And so I did find a, a local agroforester and it was at that time, it was very disappointing. He only wanted to plant non-native teak, which is really hard on the soil, doesn't give mm. any food for animals. It was just so lumber oriented and and that didn't satisfy me either. And it didn't satisfy them because they wanted to bring wildlife back and they were very committed to the wildlife and I just I couldn't you know what is it necessity is the mother of invention well yes I just looked at those guys and I said you know strangely enough I've grown up on a farm in Louisiana where my dad has grown trees his whole life it wasn't his first job it was basically as part and parcel of being uh, connected with nature because they hunted and they fished. So, you know, a lot of people who hunt and fish, they know, they know where their food is coming from. And so my dad, yeah. you know, on our land uh, always walked with me and helped me see the, the matrix and the forest dynamics and what animals were eating what and, when we could see that the deer population was having problems because they were moving to other foods that weren't their primary foods. And so I had that whole knowledge inside me and I had a green thumb. I always worked in our gardens and I just looked at these guys and said, you know what, if you give me a year, I, I can do this. I, I'm going to produce the kind of trees we want to plant. And I just need some time. And if you'll trust me and know that I'm going to give it everything I have. Um, and if you, you know, help me fund producing some of these special trees that we want, like with a deposit, let's do it. And they said yes. And those first clients, you know, were just uh, golden and we're still friends. They still own that land. In total, they, well, me through and my crew, we planted over 24,000 trees for them alone. Wow. So, wow. And it created so many jobs and all the make the follow up care of the baby trees. They need so much labor. So, I, I was creating jobs and I was, I just saw the whole thing. I just knew this is, this was what I was born to do and that I would, I would do it at, um, you know, any personal cost and mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So that's, that's, that's a, such a beautiful story. And just, I mean, you know, a lot of people listening to this podcast probably are in cities or, you know, they're city dwellers. And why why are trees important? <laughs> Let's just get it out of the way. 
Oh like, gosh. What, what is it? What is it about a tree that is important to even, you know, introduce back into the planet? Wow. Um, we play a game with our kids groups and with tourists who come and it's called the 50 reasons we love trees. I'll give you the top three. I won't burden you with 50, (laughs) but that's a very fun, uh, chat with, you know, with groups and students and schools. It's so much fun to try to get to the 50 reasons. So maybe someone out there is like, I'm going to think of 50 reasons. Well, good luck. You know, let me know how that goes. Um, (laughs) but number one, uh, and let me preface the three reasons with something really important, which I think is uh, lost on people. And it's just because why, why would you know if you didn't, if someone like me didn't explain it? Um, equator trees, trees in the tropical zone within 10 degrees of the equator, their benefits are compounded. So whatever trees anywhere else on the planet they're all giving a lot of the same things. But when you look at the ones near the equator, it's just, uh, it's compounded to, to who knows how many degrees. So for me, number one, oxygen, you know, we're breathing everything they give us oxygen. And yes, plankton give us oxygen and other plants, grasses give us oxygen, but trees are really the big producer, especially near the equator because they grow so fast and they really uh, deposit their oxygen into the currents that wrap around our planet. So that oxygen moves around through the equator currents, both in the the air and through the ocean. So oxygen and the, the, you know, polarity planet, right? Carbon dioxide. So they're sucking in our pollution that we're spitting out, whether it be from us humans, animals, trains, planes, automobiles, factories, just about everything is spitting out carbon dioxide and carbon is a building block of, of life. It's not bad. It's just, we've got a lot of excess carbon out there. So trees suck in that carbon and clean the air, give us our oxygen. And through that process, for me, the number three top, top reason is they regulate the rain cycle. Mm. So you cut all the trees down, there goes your rain. Well, if you don't have predictable rain, you don't have food. (laughs) You don't have water. I have lived down here without electricity. You cannot live without water. I work in Kenya. I know what it feels like to live and be in a place that is riddled by drought and to sit with people who are sick inside because they cut down all their trees and now it's not raining anymore and they're in Mm. trouble. So the trees are what recycle the water vapor and they basically make cumulus clouds 
And those cumulus clouds are what give us our rain. And that process on the equator is, is actually even more important because this is a global, on the equator, they're working on a global, global level because they're sending those cumulus clouds into those thermohaline equator currents and those mm. cool clouds can freeze and they can get all the way up to California where you are. So the drought is beginning somewhere else. I mean, yes, California has a problem. Hmm, lots of places have a problem. And yes, planting trees in your local community will help the local ecosystem. But if you're still not getting big, fat, frozen cumulus clouds dropping the rain in a balanced way, then, you know, it, it's both aspects. We need the local and we need the global. And I think people forget about the global. They don't even realize that their rain might be coming from the... <gasps> What do we call it? The rainforest. <laughs> I mean, that's where trees are. That's that's <laughs> what's truly making the bulk mm. of those cumulus clouds, and that's why they call it the rainforest. It wasn't just, you know, thrown out there. I mean, we get over three thousand millimeters of rain per year annual. That's a lot of water to recycle. Wow. So if our equator is deforested any further than it already is, you know, that's something we really have to, to be cognizant of. And we have to respect that, you know, it takes a while for a tree to grow. So mm. you know, this isn't something, you know, we can fix overnight. Uh, yeah, what is yeah. the 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 kind of the you know kind of go through the process if somebody were to um, sponsor or you know donate to get a tree grown like what how what's involved in that? I mean, wow. besides putting it in the ground, right? It's got to be like it's not just a a one and done. It's it seems like it something that takes years of care and you know so. Yeah, I'm just wondering. Thank you for understanding that. Yeah. Um, you know, it starts with the seed. Everything does. And so that seed collection process for us to be able to have the biodiversity, like this original client showed me, was so very important. So we offer anywhere from 150 or so species, somewhere around there, over 16 or 17 species that are on the threatened list. So the seed collection is, is constant. We get a lot of people involved in that. We don't buy seeds. We actually collect them. And that's a way that we can get our community involved and participate and even do some ecotourism with that. It's so much fun to go seed collecting. It's a treasure hunt and it's, it's very wondrous to, walk in the forest or even on the side of the road, you know, I, I break for seeds. I'm all the time <laughs> climbing some tree somewhere and they're like, there's Jenny, you know, but it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. So the seed collection, and then we have um, a really wonderful women's group that's been in existence for about eight years now. And they make all of our compost 
soil that's necessary for filling the bags that we grow the trees in. And so that's a way that we can put money into the hands of, of women as well. So they make all the compost and then filling the bags and the work in the tree nurseries is hugely, it's everything. Um, we have three tree nurseries and three different communities. Um, they are employing, I guess, eight or eight, eight people, maybe more than that now, one or two people come in and out. And those are a lot of women that are working in those tree nurseries and some older people too. Mm. We like to have something for everyone. And, um, and then we have uh, crews of, of workers. Uh, we've probably got 25 or 26, something in that range right now of men in and out of those crews and they prepare the land, transport the trees, plant the trees, which is a lot of land preparation because we're planting in either very dense, aggressive cattle pasture or regenerating secondary like thickets and brush mm. and it's thorny and itchy and waspy and dangerous, you know, snakes. And it's, it's a very aggressive environment when we start. So that's sort of the labor that gets the tree in the ground. But the other part we do is we work with the owner of the farm. We don't buy any land. We don't use any donation money for purchasing land. We collaborate with local Costa Rican farmers who are interested in regenerating their farm. They're not making money anymore from cattle. Their, their land is dead. Maybe their water has already dried up because there were streams and they were overly deforested. So we've got right now uh, 73 participating family farms in three different communities and so that farm owner, there's a, quite a few walkabouts with him. He participates. He, his family, his kids, his whoever in that family participates in choosing the species. And, you know, they used to come to us and only want some lumber trees. But that's changed now. Now we see the paradigm change. They come now and they want the fruits. They want mm. to cover their water word is out. Oh, this is amazing. And now we're making money selling our fruits or golly, mm. my land came back. And just, it's amazing how having those farm owners involved is how we do the education and how the, the, the neighbors begin to connect with each other. And, and we really are establishing a community. So there's quite a bit of work with that. Right now, I do that work. I still don't have like another person doing that work. Um, I don't get a big salary. I'm I'm making money on Tico Tico wages, just like anybody else in our crew. So sometimes it's hard for me to hire maybe a more mid level person because they want to make a lot of they want to make way better money than we're paying mm. for that mid-level person. So mm. scaling right now, we're looking at, you know, we're, we're seeing potentials for scaling. Um, and I'm having some people like, oh, why are your trees $25? 
you know, all the trees in Europe are three, three fifty, three dollar, three euros and fifty. And I'm like, well, let's get into what they do for that and what they don't do because we we do, you know, so much more work. And for us to scale, you know, like, well, you should be able to do it cheaper because you know it's an economy of scale. And I go, well, no, because it's actually more work. And if as we keep getting bigger, I see that I'm going to have to hire this mid-level person and, and they're not going to do it for $600 a month. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're in that very wonderful moment of finding how we're going to bring someone from within the organization and train them. And I, I feel that it'll all work out, but certainly the, the, the work isn't less because of more trees. More trees means more work and more administration. We're really proud that we really, I don't know what the percentage is. I do have a chart. It's somewhere around 3% that we spend on an admin. Mm. So it's practically nothing, right? Mm. Like again, mm. we've got a very lean green machine that is what <laughs> I set up to, to be simple and to, self-administrate and to have local community leaders. So I'm not running around all the time. They need to see me. I need to cheerlead them. But the idea is to empower the community and change the the poverty, both financial, but also the land poverty of like dead land, uh, change that from within, from the ground up. And um, really give power and accountability to the leaders in these communities. So really mm. the law degree helped me a lot design the model because I could I could see far into the future and anticipate a lot of problems. And of course, you're always failing, which is good. You want to fail before something gets too big. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. learn those lessons. So we have, we're, we just turned 12 years old community carbon trees. So we've, we've learned some lessons. And so we are in that teetering explosion moment. And I think we're making some headway into helping people understand you can't do this for $3 and 50 cents. It's impossible. I mean, our tree is worth $3. How am I going to do all that other stuff? And we haven't even talked about the management yet. So for yeah. our trees, we have to go back and chop the grass, the cattle grass mm. or the secondary regenerating vegetation. We have to chop at least three times the first two years, the first two rainy seasons which means all those people get paid, right? All those workers, those 26 mm. guys, you know, they get paid um, their insurance, all of it, and their transport. So every tree receives, it, it's four years of active, active, in the field, machete, hard work, labor. And then when they reach four years old, they're, basically out of danger in terms of mortality, but they still need a really good pruning. And um, 
So around six years, we do break out the chainsaws and prune the lower branches and open up any of the secondary because we're also managing the regenerating forest, which is critical. Mm. So the ground around, around the plant. Where you've planted. Yeah, and all yeah. the plants that were there dormant before it was mm. so hot and sunny and those cattle grasses are GMO'd, they won't let anything else grow. But as the tree gets bigger, then other dormant seeds, because the ground temperatures have cooled off, begin to sprout. So we start getting mm. all kinds of things come up, and sometimes those will compete with the trees. So we have to consistently manage around the tree and the secondary, but we leave the secondary. That's what makes our projects feel so natural, and it looks like mm. a forest. It smells like one. It sounds like one. It it is one. These aren't tree plantations. We're, we're going for growing a new forest. So all of that maintenance and that, that pruning at year six is critical that the trees continue to get taller, that we let in some light, we take off those lower branches so the tree will increase in girth or in diameter. And, and that's where all your carbon dioxide is. You know, the bigger the tree grows, the faster it grows, and the harder, the denser that particular wood, whatever it may be, or if it's a fruit, that determines how much carbon it's sucking in. And, and we calculate that. So that pruning mm. is important and it's quite expensive, but it's, it's critical because if we don't do it, then the tree's stunt. They'll reach mm. about six or seven years and they'll stop growing because there's no mm. more light coming mm. in. So, and then eventually they'll get sick, they'll get moldy and they'll die. I've seen mm. other projects where people did not maintain and they're thin, scraggly, not robust. It doesn't feel anything like what we're doing. So, experience has shown me, you know, what has to be done. And I'd rather know that every tree I plant is, I say, I, we, we are definitely a, we, we plant is guaranteed. We, we replace the, any tree that dies in those first four years, we'll replace it. Um, and just, and then we have, you know, constant, contact through the way the model is set up with the local community, the local community leaders, the local nursery, the locals women's group. So if somebody started, if somebody went and cut some trees down or something, believe me, those people activate, they, they know, <laughs> and it's beautiful to watch how they've become tree defenders mm -hmm. and, and you know, we do guarantee the trees for 25 years at a minimum. Wow. And the Costa Rican law does protect what we're planting because we're we're not planting plantations or lumber monocultures, so that they they do have protection. But to me, the best protection is a community who are teaching their children and showing their children, we're making money off this. Like Mama came home with money today. Daddy came home with money. Those kids yeah. see that and they know it comes from the trees. 
Absolutely. So the future, I think, of the forest we're planting is insured greatly by the the local community mm. governance and yes we have contracts with the family and they're they're very simple um but to me again and having lived in latin america now for 22 years i mean what what does a piece of paper value down here when it's it's just a joke mm. right it's a joke to, to think you're going to go enforce a contract in many cases. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's way more trustworthy to have humans on the ground who don't need to cut those trees down because they have Absolutely. money, you yeah. know, and yeah. Or they that see poverty. that it's a, yeah, it's an important part of the, you know, their, their community and, you know, they're getting money from the food and they have jobs. I mean, it's, you're not just planting trees, you're providing a whole lifestyle for people, which I mean, is, is really, it's not the bigger picture, but in many ways it is the bigger picture, right? It's a tree, but it's, it's so much more than a tree. I was kind of doing the math, you know, six years, you pay $25, you get to support this, you know, community. It's like $5. You're getting all that for $5 a year. It's, it, you know, it's kind of ridiculous yeah. when you think about it. It's super cheap. I don't know. You know, you can't compare it's, it to Europe either because, you know, a lot of those European projects probably are really heavily funded, right? Through heavily European funded. Grants. I mean, yeah. so many big, big tree people who started after us, you know, and consulted with me even, um, you know, they've got the wording down, but I'm, 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 I'm still waiting to see their forest, right? Mm, it's yeah. it's like, show me your forest. Don't tell me how many trees you planted. How many jobs did you create? How many mindsets did you change? How many children did you inspire? How many humans are feeling mm. really happy about their sponsorship? Yeah, you got a slick website with an app. I'm not impressed. I'm really not. And I feel (laughs) like my voice with these other huge groups, I've been included in just about every larger round table, Um, especially, you know, the last three or four years, I have definitely become the spokesperson for fair pay. I mean, we have no laws protecting tree planters, zero, you know, Every, they're doing it for free. And because trees are so positive, people are getting away with that. Nobody's even yeah. asking the question. And it's mm. time. It's time that that tree planting be a real sustainable livelihood. Mm. This is such a beautiful job to have. Why aren't we paying people to do it, you know? Absolutely. And on and the other I side really, of that, I'm... I mean, as you know, obviously you've been in Costa Rica and you've seen, you know, 21 years of change. And I also was in, I was in Costa Rica actually early, early, early nineties, my first time. And so it's a whole, you know, it's, it's a whole different place now. I mean, there are, there are parts of uh, Costa Rica that are like Orange County, 
in, in California yeah. now, right? So how how are are there, you know, is sustainable building a thing? Is are developers, you know, putting aside parts of land for conservation? Is there, you know, cuz I I think there's another side of the Costa Rican um lifestyle that goes against many of the things that we're talking about. So I just wonder how you, like, how do you reconcile some of that or. Um, oh, you've in- hit such yeah. a important point, Derek. Um, and I have seen the trajectory of the different waves of development here. And uh, way back in the day, I used to sue people for doing irresponsible developments. And while I was at Asana and really made some, some fairly large enemies, which told me I was doing a good job, it got very dangerous for my physical person and deep, deep burnout and fear, you know, because I was, I was shutting down some really gnarly, just tractors, just plowing it down and making ocean view lots. And somebody comes in and buys a farm from a Costa Rican unsophisticated man with a dead piece of land, cattle pasture. That's one thing. But, you know, what happened was, is a lot of people started buying pieces of forest instead of cattle pasture and waylaying that down. And there was Mm. no control. And no permit process, no impact study, no control at all. And so I'm very, I was exactly where I needed to be. And I did what had to be done at that point in my life. I was in my thirties. So I think I was 28 when I moved here. Yeah, I'm 52 now. So I was 28 or so. So I was in my thirties. I knew enough by then to know this could not stand. That was the first wave of big development. I'm in the Southern zone that used to be almost unreachable. Like nobody was here when I came, there were no gringos here. I was like, wow, all these people are showing up and they're buying up all the land. And that was before I had started the nonprofit, the community carbon trees. That's when I was just working for some of the private people that showed up. And that was kind of how I supported myself was doing this private tree planting jobs. And as I, as I kept getting clues that this was becoming a huge problem, the development, um, yeah, I had to, I had to sit with that and decide. And so I did, I did go after it. And then when it got dangerous, I backed away because I wanted to live um, and I mean, they've killed so many conservationists, especially in Latin America and most of them women. Um, mm. so it, I'm not making, I mean, I had death threats. My tire rolled off my truck once and the lug nuts had been stripped. And, you know, my, my partner at the time was like, oh no, 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 no. You, you, you've got to resign. He's, he was from mm. Argentina and it was like, they'll kill you, Jenny. They will kill you. And it was just really a wake-up call. So that wake-up call led me to understand I can't fight about this development. I need to do something positive. Let's plant trees. Let's quit 
fighting about cutting mm. them down. So I was pretty burned out at that point. And I, I actually, that was when community carpentries came to me. I thought, well, I can't just be doing this with the rich foreigners coming here. I need to be doing this on land owned by Costa Ricans. We need to find a way that they don't sell their land. And again, what is the root? The root is poverty. It's poverty and, and mm. unsophistication. They're not ignorant. They're incredibly wise, intelligent people. They're just not savvy when it comes to, you know, they think a hundred grand was like, you know, because a hundred grand is like a million colones, like the number sounded yeah. big, a million. Wow. You know, back in the day. So it really all went hand in hand. And mm. then that wave stopped because of that fallout. What was that? The crisis of 2008, the Sally Mae deal, whatever that was. Mm -hmm. um, that fallout happened and a lot of um, developers uh, lost their shirts. They, they had bought the land here with their second mortgage in the States. I mean, it was really had an effect here, all those second mortgages that mm. probably should not have been given, but were. And um, uh, that whole first wave sort of left. And in the midst of that wave leaving, we also activated the permit system. I got in touch with people in San Jose, the, the conservation group I was working with, the director at that time, I was president of the board of directors, but they had a director with a salary. And we got the right people in and brought in what is now the permit process that is, is really working it now. So we do have, I'd say, we have our third wave now since I've been here um, these 20 something years. And now you can't build a house unless you can get the water stamp. They're not letting people willy nilly drill mm. a well just because they found a guy who said he'd do it. Or you can't build a 60 lot so-called, I love when they call it an eco village. I'm like, there ain't nothing eco about this. <laughs> um, nothing. This is money, 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 money. This is money. Yeah. This is not eco. And yes, yeah, sometimes the developments are putting forest in reserve and they're reforesting and they're going lower impact and they're doing good things for the local community and they're creating jobs. So yes, there are some really positive stories and, and examples, but again, they're all making lots of money. Hmm. So don't let the name fool you. Um, you know, I live next door to one of those and they waylaid forest, even though, you know, the guy swore he wasn't going to do it and blah, 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 blah. I'm so over what people say, you know, because mm. often it, it isn't, um, it hasn't revealed itself to be the truth. Hmm. Having said that, to end on a positive note about your question, yeah, things are much better. The permit process is, 
much, much better. The bribery isn't quite as rampant. There's a lot of people who bought land a long time ago and sat on it. And now they're trying to build houses. And I've been hired probably by three or three people for sure. Three different people who cannot build on their land Hmm. because there is no water there. They bought it before the laws were in place. I knew this was going to happen. I said, I mean, 15 years ago, the social ramifications of the lack of environmental impact statements is go they're going to rear their ugly head and some mm. people are going to lose and it's mm. it used to just be do what you want pay your fine bribe some do what you want it's not yeah. like that anymore and i'm thrilled mm. i'm thrilled it's not like mm. that anymore um it's it's a good thing that we have uh, gotten on top of the uncontrolled development. Can you still, you know, get around things? Of course you can. You know, money talks and people, there's corruption at every level of everything. Uh, In every place. Every place, yeah. right? Yeah, and it's not, money's not bad. I have a great relationship with money. Mm. It's not the money. Money's not the root of all evil. It's greedy people that are the root of the <laughs> evil. I mean, yes. money money can be amazing. Money is a wonderful tool. Absolutely. Um, when is enough enough, though? And, yeah. and what are we giving back to Mother Earth for for the ways we get our money? And I think that's always been... I think there's so many good people on the planet who are looking mm. for us, right? Looking for mm. a way to give back, a way to feel tranquila, you know, how to mm. um, calm and serene and kind of like, okay, I'm doing well in life. I want to give Mother Earth something, but who do mm. I trust and how do I do it? And um, I think there's a lot of good, good people who who want to do development in the right way down here. And I'm so happy to say that most of them find me at a certain point and hire me and I go do a consulting and hook them up mm. with the right people to go, you know, get their permits. I don't do all that permit stuff. That's not my job. Um Certainly being the bridge between, okay, this is where you are. This is what your land is like. Okay, these zones are perfectly good for developing. No, don't put the road there. No, you can't build that bridge there. Uh, No, you can't put the house on top of the river. Um, No, (laughs) this is too steep. No, you can't have 60 houses here. Um, So it's it's encouraging. I'm encouraged. Uh, Mm, Well, that's good because you've seen so many changes. So if you're encouraged, that that says a lot, I would say. I'm encouraged. Now, I was in the bank the other day and there were some big, loud people in there that were new. 
And I just looked over there and I had this feeling inside myself. We we know, those of us who've stayed a while, there's a honeymoon in Costa Rica. Yeah. And it's about three years. And mm. a lot of people don't make it past the two to three year mark. They come here yeah. with all their programming and all their lack of patience and needs for amenities and ease and these things. And they've got this idea of what it's going to be. And it, it results much more difficult than they ever dreamed. And I mean, this place has a home rule and you got to be tough to get through that gauntlet, that three year period. And we are seeing so much turnover with the COVID situation. Mm. I mean, it's just a, it's a turnstile down here. And I don't know what our community is going to look like in the future, but I will say the, 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 the Duggan community, it's a good one. They're very mm. simple, you know, um, people who are looking for a different way of life and a, a more connected to nature, connected to their children, connected with their neighbors not consumeristic. Beautiful. I mean, there's nothing to buy. What am we, you know? We all buy a wear mango. Old clothes. <laughs> yeah. Buy a mango. We uh From local yeah. farmers. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So, so yeah. where can people find more about you or if somebody wants to sponsor a tree and get involved? Can you tell everyone how they can they can find you. Yeah. Indeed. Con mucho gusto. Um, mm. So we are communitycarbontrees.org on the internet. And the Sponsor Now page has various options. You can get a, a tax deduction in the USA by going through the Global Giving link. We work with that very prestigious 501c3 umbrella and um, we love our relationship with them. We also are really active on the Instagram channels, whether it's Community Carbon Trees Costa Rica or Tree Jenny. I think I do more posting on Tree Jenny, but both of those channels really have a great day by day, just day in the life. I mean, just constant work going on. And those are great places to find us. We have a Facebook page, Community Carbon Trees. And mm. we are picked up by a couple other platforms. We are on a platform out of Israel called Giving Way. And that's available on our website. And we'll be on a few new platforms in the coming coming month or so when I get to all that paperwork. It's it's kind of the end of our planting season now. So mm. we'll be focusing on management and chopping grass from here on out. But at a certain point, we have to stop planting because our, our rain season dries up typically in January. So... Mm. Um, this kind of October through January is a period where I do a ton of computer work and, um, 
yeah, we look forward to be on some other platforms. But for now, we, we like people to go through our platforms and fill out a certificate. If you if you make yourself a personalized certificate, you can send that to another person. People love it. They're like, oh my gosh, you know, my grandmother planted a tree for me or I planted one for my grandmother. Mm, um, great you idea. Know, it doesn't matter if it's one tree or a thousand trees. We value mm. every single tree. It's a celebration. Every tree and they work as a community, just as our global community of sponsors. We wouldn't we wouldn't be here without our sponsors. They're everything. What you do sponsoring a tree, it does make a difference. And it mm. it it feels good for you. I mean I I know it feels good because I, I watch people feel good and contact me and go, golly, you know, got on the airplane the other day and I sponsored my two trees, Jenny, and thank you because I feel better about my vacation now, you know, mm. and that's cool. It's not about guilt, right? Like I am not yeah. wagging fingers, you know, no way. <laughs> no it's, way. It's, it's about voluntary giving a gift back to Mother Earth for everything she gives us. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much, Jennifer, for this podcast. I really appreciate what you're doing on this planet and and um, all of the trees that you've birthed into this life. What a gift <laughs> that you've given. And hopefully many more will come and hopefully some yes. will come from this podcast. So, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Derek. Thanks so, so much for your time and your voice and your outreach. We we really depend on folks like you. So you've made a difference. Thank you. Mm, thank you. Awesome. Pura vida. Pura vida. Come shout out at us <laughs> if you if you come back down here. I'd love to take you for out sure. to see your project. Yeah. I would love that. Okay, I'll see my okay. see my new tree. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Saltwater High. Please take a moment and go leave us a review on your favorite podcast network. We'd really appreciate it and it would help spread the stoke. Also, one last reminder, go to wavetribe.com for surf gear, surf travel articles, and lots of other stoke. See you guys. See you in the water. Peace out. <laughs>